Uh, I want to begin by asking uh, you the question, what are you worth? What are you worth? Uh, What is your value? I I did some economics at university, and one way to work out the value of something is to uh, find out what someone is willing to pay for it. That's one way to work out the value of something. So if we processed you down to like the periodic table of elements level, uh, your body contains about $200 worth of elements if you were to sell them. Uh, more than half of that is potassium, so keep eating those bananas. You'll be upping your value. But what are we worth? Uh, if you wanted to um, extract more value from your body than that, if you were to sell yourself on the red market, which uh, tragically does exist, which is the illegal trade in body parts, organs, and complex molecules, they were talking 90 grand per lung, uh, $86,000 for a heart, $140,000 for a set of kidneys, uh, but the real money, the real value is in your DNA, $13.5 million, or your bone marrow, $35 million. Uh, somewhere they reckon the total value of a human could be $70 million. Uh, is that what we're worth? Uh, now, before you start eyeing off a loved one and start drawing up a shopping list, uh, it's not really possible to sell your body like this. Uh, today we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, and we get this kind of majestic view of humanity, and, we, uh, and as we see what it has to say, we'll, we'll begin to realize that we are worth vastly more than we could ever dream or imagine. Vastly more than the $70 million you might be able to sell yourself for on the red market. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 1. We saw creation kind of from a distance. Uh, It was kind of like the view from the plane as we flew high over God's creative work. And it was kind of light on the details and big on the broad brushstrokes. Uh, We saw that God was the one who created all the universe and we saw that he did it with order and structure and we saw that it was good. And if we were to ask ourselves the question at the end of Genesis chapter 1, why is the world here? The answer from Genesis chapter 1 would be because God said so. God spoke and all of creation sprung into being. Uh, But today we're zooming in. Genesis chapter 2 kind of zooms us in Uh, And there's a sense where we've kind of brought the 747 into land and now we're walking around creation on a ground level. Uh, We're seeing creation kind of eye to eye. And so we've disembarked this plane in a particular place, the Garden of Eden, and we're looking specifically at the man and the woman and their place in the garden in relationship with God. Uh, Will you look at uh, Genesis chapter 2 with me? We'll pick it up at verse 8. Come and see what it says. Verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had made, he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. See, here we are in the place, the good place, where man and woman will live. And there's an important thing to notice if you, um, if you hadn't picked it up in, uh, from chapter 1. Uh, the thing to notice here is that the man that God made is just very much one part of the creation that God made. Uh, He may be a special part of the creation, as we'll see today. Uh, He might have a special place within the creation, as we'll see today. But he is still just part of the creation. He is created. He's part of what God made. He is such a part of the creation that he's actually made from the stuff of creation. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 7 says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Uh, Now, the original word for uh, Adam... And the, and, and the original word for man are the same. And the word Adam is also part of the word for ground here. 
And so if you were to read this in its original language, it would sound something like this. Uh, it sounded like, Then the Lord formed Dusty from the particles of the dusty stuff, and the dusty creature became a living being. Dusty. Now, why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, kind of in light of the huge statements made in chapter 1, that man is made in the image of God, that he is made to rule the cosmos on God's behalf, we need to remember that we are not gods. We are dusty creatures made by God from the dirt. And this part of the Bible helps us to keep our feet on the ground. As we try and work out our significance in the world, we're not to get too big for our boots. We are creatures, really. We are 200 bucks worth of elements. And so it exposes our folly of, our, of, the, of the glorification of certain people and the glorification of ourselves. It's nuts that we would put people on such a high pedestal that we would worship celebrities or sporting heroes, the rich and famous, or even ourselves. We're not to idolize them. We're not to worship them. We're not to expect too much from them, for they are dust. From dust they came, and to dust they will return. They are just creatures. They are not the Creator. But as well as keeping us humble, these kind of dusty origins remind us of God's intentionality, that God Himself personally set about to create humanity. We breathe because God has breathed life into us. We are creatures, but we are creatures with immense dignity and potential, as we will see. We may not always feel like it or look like it, but it's true. We may be creatures, but wherever we look, whenever we look in the mirror, we see a creature that is made in the image of God, a creature that breathes because God breathed life into it. Now, I'm going to spend a lot more time looking at this later, but uh, for the moment, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that when you're looking in the mirror, even if you're not happy with what you see, you are looking at someone made by God. You're looking at someone made in God's image. And I want you to remember, whenever you're looking at someone else, particularly someone who is difficult or someone who is different to you, a different race, a different age, a different religion, a different gender, a different job, a different social status, someone with different abilities, before you jump to any conclusions about that person, before you judge them, before you box them, before you think anything about them, you need to remember you are looking at someone who is made by God. You are looking at someone who is made in the image of God. And what that means for us is that God cares deeply how we treat that person, how we treat His image bearers. And so when you're tempted to take advantage of someone for your own benefit or for your own pleasure, God cares deeply how we treat that person. God breathed life into them. He gave them His image. They are part of God's good creation. And I will look a little bit more about what it means to be made in the image of God a little bit later. Uh, But when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, there was this phrase that was repeated all the way through. And we were told over and over again in Genesis chapter 1 that the creation, the world that God had made was good. God saw all that he had made and it was good. And towards the end it said that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And so when we get here to Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 18, there's something that comes as a bit of a shock. Verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
See, now we've uh, kind of zoomed in between Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and now we've got a chance to kind of get on the ground level and get a, a closer look at things in more detail. We see that the man is alone. And it's not good that he is alone. And it's not because he's kind of drowning in a sea of pizza boxes and dirty laundry. That's not what's going on here. Uh, One of the things that comes out of these chapters is that human beings are wired for relationships. We are made for relationships. Here, Adam, he, he quite literally has the whole world at his feet. The whole of creation is there for him to enjoy, for him to rule over it. And so if wholeness or completeness as a human was found in what you owned, or if wholeness and completeness as a human was found in what you had power over, having power over other things, well, Adam would be complete, wouldn't he? He would be the most complete person who ever lived. Let's face it, he he had everything. He quite literally had the whole world and he ruled everything. He was the top of the pile. But wholeness for people, it's not found in owning as much as you can and completeness for people isn't found in, in having as much power as you can. Wholeness and completeness here is found in relationships. The man is alone and the Bible says it's not good for him to be alone. Now, I'm showing my age a little bit here, but if you remember the Tom Hanks movie, Castaway, uh, the story is that he's stranded alone on a desert island and he's starved of human contact and so he desperately wants someone to talk to, someone to relate to and because there's no one else around, he comes up with Wilson, the volleyball. And he paints a face on Wilson and Wilson becomes his companion. He talks to Wilson all the time, his conversation partner. Wilson becomes his friend. And when he loses Wilson the volleyball, he just kind of collapses in tears of grief. Now, one of the points that's being made there is that we are, as humans, wired for relationships. We need others. Wholeness for us as humans is ultimately found in our relationships. Now, there's more to say on that. We'll come back to it. Uh, So, Adam is alone and it's not good. Uh, So, God goes to these extraordinary lengths to find a suitable companion for Adam. Uh, And so, God brings, uh, firstly, uh, the animals to Adam. And it's a little bit like that kid's book, Dear Zoo, uh, if you've read that one. Uh, I wrote to God to send me a companion. He sent me an elephant. He was too big, so I sent him back. He sent me a giraffe. He was too tall, so I sent him back. He sent me a camel. He was too grumpy, so I sent him back. And you kind of get the point. Uh, And as it says in verse 20, but for Adam, no suitable helper could be found. So God then goes to the extraordinary lengths to make a partner, a companion for Adam. God makes woman. The woman who will be a suitable companion. The woman who will complement the man. The woman who will, in a sense, complete the man. The two of them together will become humanity completed. Now, these, these two, they are different, they are complementary, they are not the same. See, God didn't make another man for Adam. For humanity to be completed, we, we needed two that were different. But despite their difference, they are completely equal. They are both made in the image of God. And now look back with me at chapter 1, uh, verses 26 to 27. What does it mean that they're made in the image of God? We've touched on this already, but we're going to look at this a bit further. What does it mean that they're made in the image of God? Well, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean that man and woman have been created in God's image? Uh, There's lots of people who have lots of ideas about this. Um, Some people think it means our intellectual capacity as humans. Uh, Some people think it means our self-awareness. I think, therefore, I am. Uh, Some people think it means our creativity. Uh, some even just think this means our ability to walk up, oh, there we go, walk upright. Um, you know, the fact that we can walk on our hind legs means that we are made in God's image. I think there's a simpler way to work it out and um, you won't be surprised, but it's just to read the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? I think these verses tell us what, is, what fundamentally it means to be created in God's image. Verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So that they may rule. See, this is the first and the most significant way that we're made in God's image. God's image is reflected in our rule over creation. And there's no question as you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that God is the one who made the world, it's His, and He is the one who rules over everything. But what he is saying is he's saying, the man and the woman I've made, they will rule over this world that I've made. God is entrusting responsibility to rule over this world to them. And now jump back to uh, chapter 2, verse 19. And there's something that's really interesting that happens here in 2, verse 19. Verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now, we might be tempted to skip over these verses, but what's going on there is really significant. Uh, If you read Genesis chapter 1 carefully, you notice it was God who gave names to things. That was his prerogative. God creates light and he calls it day. God creates darkness and he calls it night. He gave it its name. God is the one who names things. But here, God is bringing all the animals to the man and he's saying... You name them. I mean, it's Mother's Day. All the mothers out there have chosen names for their children. Um, uh, we do that as, as, as humans. We, we, we give names to things. The, the most important and significant is like our children. We give them a name, to a lesser degree, our pets. And, and as we give them a name, it's kind of a sign of taking responsibility for them. A sign of care, a sign of authority over them. And so God is saying to the humans, you name them. This world is your responsibility. You are the ones to rule over this creation. And the man and the woman under God, they had to rule this world. That's the first and uh, most obvious way in which we're created in God's image, to rule over God's world. Uh, But there's another key idea here, and you might have noticed it as we read through uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, If you have a look at that again, look at the personal pronouns. Uh, Look at how they work in chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Uh, This might seem strange to begin with. I mean, who is the us that God is talking about there? Who, who, Who could the us be? Who else is around at this point for God to refer to? See, what I think is happening here is a reference to the Trinity, I think when it says, let us make mankind in our image, I think who's being referred to here is God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit saying, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
And so what that means is that there's a sense where male and femaleness of humanity is a reflection of God's image. It's a reflection of who God is in himself. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 24, and see what it says. Uh, that is why, and 2 verse 24 says this, that is why a man leaves his father and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. The two will become one. And now it is a beautiful picture of marriage, but it's also a picture of just as God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three in one, so in marriage we reflect God's image because we have two who become one. And just as God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three who are different, three who are equal, so to humanity, male and female, created in the image of God, created equal and yet different. And it's not just in our relationships with each other that we reflect God's image. We also reflect God's image through relationship with Him, with God Himself. You see, if God in Trinity is in essence these, these relationships of love and these relationships of service and submission, uh, then to be created in God's image is to be created like God is in relationship with God Himself. No other part of creation has this relationship with God. To be created in God's image is to be wired for relationships. For relationships with each other and most importantly for a relationship with God. It's part of who we are. It's part of what it is to be human. And so really to step outside of that relationship with God, to ignore God and have no relationship with Him, well, it's in a sense that's to trash the image of God in which we've been made. It's to insult God and, and, and to insult who He has made us to be. We're created in the image of God. We're created for relationships. Uh, now, there's this kind of tree in the middle of the garden and we've kind of, as we've gone through our sermons, kind of skirted around it. Um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll deal with that uh, more next week uh, as we look at uh, chapter 3. Uh, but the last thing I want to show you in this passage uh, is how it closes. It closes with the man and the woman naked and unashamed. You see, there's this balance and harmony in creation, in the world that God has made. All the relationships are working properly, uh, are working as they should when we get to the end of Genesis chapter 2. There's balance between the relationship between God and humanity. There is balance in the relationships in humanity between the man and the woman. There is balance in the relationships between humanity and the creation as, God's, as, the, as the, the, the humans that God has made rule the world under Him. And with this great balance and peace, they are naked and unashamed. I don't know whether you caught that last weekend, was, uh, last Saturday was World Naked Gardening Day. I'm not sure if you caught on to that one. Now this verse isn't an exhortation for you to kind of join the, the movement of horticulturalists in the buff. Uh, Adam and Eve, the first, world, uh, the first naked gardeners, that's not what it's talking about, nor is it a comment on their bodies. It's not saying that they've been eating well and they've been going to the gym and they're working out and they're kind of feeling trim and terrific so they've just got all the confidence in the world. What it is saying though is they had nothing to be ashamed of. They had nothing to hide. Nothing to hide from God, nothing to hide from each other. See, this was a world without sin. It was a world without shame. It was a world without guilt, without evil, without uh, anything that was wrong. It's a world with exactly everything as God intended it to be. 
It's a world where relationships are working properly, where human relationships with God, with each other and with creation, they are all in sync. And so everything is right in the garden. Everything is as it should be. And, and, and this is what it should be like when we relate to God. And wouldn't it be great if we could relate to God and to each other in this way? If we could have a relationship with God and with others like this, maybe not the nudity, but the complete openness and the complete acceptance and the no guilt or embarrassment. Wouldn't it be great to have that? Now, I don't need to remind you that that's not how it is, is it? Whether it's with God or with other people, our relationships, they are awkward and embarrassing and distant. We've got to work through with people shame and guilt and anger and disappointment. Relationships are strained and they break down. And we're desperately independent people and we try and hide things. Delight in relationships and delight in relationship with God is actually in short supply. We've come a long way from this easy picture of innocence, of nakedness and unashamed. We've come a long way. Things are broken. We are, we are damaged goods. We're not like this anymore. Nor is anyone else. So what are we supposed to do about this? Now, Genesis chapter 2, it is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Uh, But the great news is that things can actually be better than Genesis chapter 2 for people like us. You might find that hard to believe, but things can be better than Genesis chapter 2. There is another picture in the Bible of humanity, uh, not of who we once were, uh, not of who we have become as broken and corrupt, but a picture of who we can be. And for that, we need to turn to the New Testament and we need to see the picture running through the New Testament, the picture of the Lord Jesus. For he is the true Adam, the second Adam. He is the one who lives in the flesh consistently with the way that we are made. In Jesus we see a glimpse of who God wants us to be. Here is a man living in relationship with God, living in right relationship with those around him and with the world that God has made. That is the true picture that we long for. Not to go back to the garden, but to go forward and be like Jesus. Uh, now, we began by asking, what are, what's our worth? What's our value? Well, according to God, we are worth more than a pile of elements. We are worth much more than a few million bucks on the black market. You see, one way you determine the value of something is how much someone is willing to pay for it. What was God willing to pay to restore his creation? this picture of Genesis 2? What was God willing to pay to improve on the picture of Genesis chapter 2? He was willing to pay with the life of his son, Jesus. Because Jesus, the second Adam, in perfect obedience to the Father, he dies in our place. He is crucified for our failures to live up to this picture, to live in right relationship with God, to live in relationship with each other, to live in relationship and harmony with the world around us. He was crucified so that we are bought, we are redeemed, so that we can really enjoy life like this with God forever. And so it's because of Jesus, when we look in the mirror, we shouldn't be looking at our reflection going, what a disaster. Look at Genesis 2, look at what we could have been, but we've blown it. 
No, because of Jesus, we can walk out of here this morning with our heads held high. We can look in the mirror and, and look with confidence, not simply because we are human, but if we have entrusted our lives to Jesus, we can walk with our heads held high because we are His. We have been bought at a great price. And God has worked in and through Jesus so that we might experience not just this Genesis 2 reality, but perfect relationship with Him as sons and daughters perfect relationship with each other and with the world around us as God recreates things, as he makes them all new through Jesus. So come to Jesus to be restored. We pray in thanks for what God has done for us and is doing for us in Jesus. Our God and Heavenly Father, the world you have made is amazing and you have made us as humanity in your image. Lord, you have made us to rule and to relate to you and to each other. And Lord, we've not done that and for that we are sorry. But Lord, we thank you that you have paid a great cost to redeem and to restore us. Thank you that in Jesus, the second Adam, the perfect human, Thank you that you are remaking us to be who you want us to be. We pray all this in his great name. Amen.